we see the, the heart of that as we turn our attention to Acts chapter 9. We can get an attitude or a posture where we think, you know, God, you, you, you can save anyone you want as long as you run it by me first. Remember, the first time we see the Apostle Paul, he is giving approval to the execution of Stephen. He's watching everyone's coats. He gives the vote. He gives the thumbs up. Yeah, put this man to death. And that wasn't enough for him, so he gets uh, letters giving him authority to imprison and ultimately kill believers in Damascus. So he's left Jerusalem. He's on a hunt for Christians and the Lord has intervened. He has been saved in a mighty powerful way. And we have to understand that there is a time gap here, as Paul explains in Galatians chapter 1. So he's been in Damascus. He's been ministering. He's been proclaiming the word of God. And then Galatians 1.17, Paul says that he did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but he went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And he says, then after three years, so this is three years after his conversion, he, he's been in ministry, he's proclaiming the gospel for, for three years, and after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. So you have to understand, as we turn our attention to the text, there's a time jump here. It's not as if, uh, you know, one week uh, he's preaching the gospel in Damascus, uh, a week after his salvation. Uh, he has had time to grow in the faith. He's returned. So with that in mind, we turn our attention to verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus... He had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Good Lord, in prayer. Father, as we turn our attention to this text, uh, I pray uh, that uh, you would give us wisdom and insight to what your Spirit is saying to the church today, what we can learn from that early church and the difficulties that it experienced, where our hearts are not inclined toward you, uh, you would grant us repentance. We pray that if there are any who are far from Christ this morning, uh, that they would come to see their need for him and that they would be saved in a remarkable way. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So here, Paul, Saul, still operating amongst the Jews. He hasn't been sent off to the Gentile world, so he's not going by his Roman name of Paul yet. You know, that's the popular misconception that, you know, uh, he got a new name. His Gentile name, his Roman name, as a Roman citizen, was always Paul. 
He identified as Paul when he was ministering among the Gentiles. He's a saved man and he's still Saul. He's Saul and he's Paul. And he has been ministering there in Damascus after his time in Arabia. He's been ministering for three years. He's ministering in a time, and remember this, there's no telephones, there's no text messaging, there's no email, there's no YouTube, there's not a lot of communication. Think about in our own day and age, as connected as we are, something could happen in a church, uh, you know, 20, 30 miles away from us, and we would be none the wiser of what was going on in that church, despite the fact that we are hyper-connected in our day and age. So there wasn't a lot of communication. There might have been some rumors, some hinting of what was going on in Damascus, but uh, clearly it had made no real impression on the church in Jerusalem. And so here Saul is, he's fled for his life because he is learning the hard lesson of how much he is going to suffer for the sake of the name of Christ. And he makes his way to Jerusalem and he tries to join the church. But they won't have him. Notice verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. Here he is. He's openly proclaiming his faith towards Christ. He's probably been telling everyone who will give him a hear. He has encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And he has spent these three years not persecuting and attacking the church, but proclaiming Christ and building up the church. They still wouldn't have it. No. Luke, who wrote Acts, gives us a powerful story for us to understand what is going on here. There's a natural temptation and a tendency to really try to pick and choose who's in and who's out and who God can save and who he can't. We're all familiar with the story of the parable of the prodigal son. You know, Luke uh, preambles that by telling us that Jesus was teaching to an audience of uh, sinners, tax collectors, and Pharisees. Pharisees thought they were on the inside, that the sinners and the tax collectors were on the outside. And so he tells them the story uh, of one who found himself uh, far away from where he should be until he comes to himself, comes to his senses, uh, and decides that he's going to return home and tell his father that he's no longer worthy to be his son, but that he will be a servant in his father's household. What does the father do? Before the son can even uh, make it home, the father runs to him, embraces him, and celebrates that his son, who was dead, is now alive. That's been Paul's experience. Paul would tell us that at one time he was dead in his sins and trespasses, that he was a a child of wrath, a son of disobedience, carried about by the prince of the power there that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Whereas at one time he was dead... To God, separated from God by his sins, he has been brought near. Jesus has embraced him on the road to Damascus. He who is dead is now alive. He who is a stranger to the family of God has been brought in. You remember, Luke tells the story of the prodigal son and it has that powerful ending. Wow, the father and everyone are celebrating that this son 
this younger son who had squandered everything, has come back. What's the older brother doing? He's sitting, he's fuming. Because somehow he feels that his brother's inclusion robs him. Here you have Saul, who had been far from God, who had been, as he says he's the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners has been saved, and yet he can't find his way into the church. They are, naturally speaking, prejudiced against him. He's been saved in this mighty, miraculous way. Lord Jesus has saved him and changed the course of his life. And the disciples that he's come across do not believe him. And will not allow him to be near him. It's the horns of a dilemma there. Can you imagine what would happen if this fearful, doubting group of disciples had their way? You know what? We, we, we could never trust Saul again. We, we should, you know, we got to figure out how to hide from this guy. We know what he's done before. What great confidence they had in the grace of God. They didn't think that Saul could be saved from his life of persecution. There's one that stands out. Not one of the seven, not one of the twelve, just an ordinary church member, Barnabas. Barnabas was an initiative taker. Barnabas showed an understanding and a sensitivity to live a life of service toward Christ. The first time that we encounter Barnabas is in chapter 4, and we're told, beginning of verse 34, that there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, so his real name is Joseph, Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So already Barnabas has had a reputation of being an encourager. And that word for encourager is the same word that Jesus uses the Holy Spirit, a paraclete, a, a comforter, somebody that exhorts them. Now maybe you, uh, I'm not a runner, but if you ever watch those videos of marathons where you got somebody trailing at the end and they look like they want to die and give up and somebody's running alongside them, encouraging them on, keep running, you can do it. That's what a comforter, that's what an encourager does. It keeps them going to the end. Here you have a church that is very quickly going to get derailed from the mission of God. We already know the will of God in regards to Saul. Saul is a chosen instrument. And here you have the church, you have the disciples saying, no, we don't want Saul in our church. We don't want anything to do with Saul. Keep Saul away from us. We don't believe anything that he says about his conversion. And so we don't believe that he's a disciple. Here you have Barnabas. Again, showing initiative. Here you have Barnabas really stepping outside of his comfort zone. 
You know, it really takes a lot of courage to speak up for others. You know, it's easy to be bothered and say nothing. You know, Barnabas could have just said, uh, you know, that's a shame. That's a shame. You know, I believe that Saul's saved, but what can I do? I'm just one person. Nobody's going to listen to me. Barnabas doesn't. He takes initiative. He sees something going wrong, and he speaks up both for Saul and the work of God in Saul's life. We're told in verse 27, but Barnabas, uh, notice the effort that Barnabas takes. He, he's shown generosity with his money. It, doesn't, it takes grace to be generous with your money, but it takes a lot more generosity to be generous with your time. He carves out time out of a schedule, and he takes the initiative to speak on behalf of Saul. Notice what he says in verse 27. Barnabas took him. He doesn't say, okay, Saul, I'm going to write you a letter and we'll straighten this up. He took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. So here, Barnabas is stepping out. He is putting his reputation on the line. He is speaking out in contrast to the other disciples who do not want Paul to join the church, who do not trust him, who are in fear of him. It takes a lot of courage when all the voices you're hearing are, are speaking out against what you know is right. You know, as I was thinking of this, I, you know, this, it happens. that Sometimes we'll hear people decidedly on a path that is contrary to the will of God, and we'll know it's wrong, and we'll be silent. I remember the Sunday before we came here to Candidate, we were having lunch with our church pianist, Martha Simmons. Martha was telling us uh, something that had happened uh, just a, a little over a decade before my time as pastor. She and another gentleman had been involved in children's ministry, and they had had a Sunday night event for the children, and they had taken the church bus to one of the nearby trailer parks, and... and the trailer park had African-Americans there, and they brought African-American kids to the church. That very next day, she said that the deacons and the leading men of the church met with the pastor, and they told him under no certain terms could that ever happen again. She was told, she and this gentleman were told by these men and the pastor that it could never happen again. She said that they were told, you know, what if their parents joined the church? She said that man left the church shortly after the pastor moved away, and she stopped going to Sunday school. She stopped going to, she just came and played on Sunday mornings. I told her if I were her, I would have left. But she never... She never objected. She never pushed back. She never put her reputation online and said, this is wrong. If the Lord is saving people, we should be glad that they're coming in. So you have Barnabas showing that encouragement. More than encouragement, he, he, exhortation. He, he's exhorting the church to do what they need to be doing. And apart from, humanly speaking, apart from Barnabas' exhortation and encouragement to both Saul and the apostles, 
Acts would be a lot shorter. We live in an interesting time. There's been some talk in Southern Baptist circles about uh, the annual church profile. It's done every year and what, what it says about the condition of our convention. There's 47,000 Southern Baptist churches uh, thereabouts uh, here in the United States of America. 13.2 million Southern Baptists on paper. Average attendance is 3.84 million right now. At 2021, 906 churches closed their doors. 906 Southern Baptist churches closed their doors. Right now, in Baptist life, 64.6%. So the majority of Southern Baptist churches are plateaued and declining. We had a NAMA strategist, and they were talking about, why, why does this happen? He said uh, it happens for several reasons. People begin loving something more than Jesus. Now, you have to remember that there's been a period of time here. The, the Jerusalem church has been established. You know, they have a comfort zone. It's a dangerous thing to get a comfort zone, isn't it? Because you never want to get outside of that comfort zone. And here the Lord is forcing them outside their comfort zone by bringing Saul into their midst. And they view him, who's part of the Jerusalem community originally, not as somebody deserving God's grace, but as a threat. So there's a, there's a very real spiritual issue here with the Jerusalem church. They've, they've heard Saul's testimony. Now Saul has borne witness. They've heard some rumors, and yet they don't believe it. I think it's too good to be true. Yet Barnabas pushes back against that. He brings him to the apostles and he declares to them how Saul on the road had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had been preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. That's all it took. Somebody being willing to say something. Barnabas showed great initiative, and we're going to see this again later on in the life of Barnabas. You know, he's going to be one of Paul's ministry companions along with John Mark, and John Mark's going to leave early for some reason. And later on, they're going to want to take John Mark again, and Paul's going to refuse. Paul's going to be in the wrong, and Barnabas is going to take John Mark along with him. And at the end of his life, who is one of the individuals that Paul writes to and speaks highly of? John Mark. Now Barnabas is a perfect example for us in believing the best in others and believing in the power of God's grace in the life of others. You know, Barnabas isn't keeping a, a list of Paul's wrongs. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, Love believes all things. Now, if we believe that we have a gospel that can transform lives, we should demonstrate it in how we treat those who have been transformed by it. So Barnabas speaks up for Paul, putting his reputation on the line, putting his relative position in the fellowship of believers at stake. 
take a lot of courage. And they listen. So verse 28, so he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist. You know, the, the very people uh, who were responsible for the death of Stephen, the very people that he gave a seal approval to when they martyred him, now he is speaking against them, he is disputing against them. And now Saul finds himself in a very similar position to Stephen. Verse 29, but they were seeking to kill him. It's going to become a, a rather common theme in the life of Saul. Remember, Ananias was told by Jesus, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Let's not think that Paul is like so many televangelists where he's got saved because there's something in it for him. You know what there was in following Christ? He tells us later on, he gives us his resume when he's writing to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul gives us his resume. Tells us what he got out of being a follower of Christ, as it were. In verse 16 of chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. But I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it as if somebody, someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or makes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. So let us not think uh, that uh, Paul, uh, uh, you know, joined with the church because he saw it was an opportunity to advance himself. He advanced himself in death threats and beatings and imprisonments. He's learning. He's learning in the school of suffering. Again, they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. What's the end result of all that's going on here? Now, Saul's initially being rejected by the church. Barnabas brings him in and shows him uh, the encouragement of the gospel. What's the end result of this? What happens when churches get past their rejection of those that the Lord is working among? 
We see in verse 31, church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. They, were, they had peace because they were actually walking in the will of the Lord. Uh, I guarantee you, you would, chapter, verse 31 would read much differently if Barnabas had not spoken up. If the church refused the will of the Lord in regards to Saul, there would have been no peace. It would have been torn down rather than built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. They, they, learned, they remembered that they needed to fear God and not Saul. What, what, what a transition. They're afraid of Saul and don't believe him and don't want him a part of the church. And now he's brought in and he is powerful proclaiming the gospel just as he had done in Damascus. With the same results, the Jewish leader seeking to put him to death. And they multiply. Now imagine, imagine if the disciples uh, had their way of having their preference of Paul not being part of the Jerusalem church. You know, imagine, church history would look entirely different. Now we, we know that Saul was the chosen instrument to carry the name to the Gentiles, to us. You know, those disciples that were fearful and worried about Saul, had they had their way, we wouldn't be here today. Thanks be to God that Barnabas showed initiative, that Barnabas spoke up, that Barnabas chose the will of God above peace or preferences and a great thing happens when we sacrifice our preferences and our desire for a thin peace for God. He gives us a greater peace. You know, what could have been the biggest controversy of the early church is work to good and the church has peace. They're built up and they're multiplied. We look in our day and age, no matter what statistics you look at, whether you look at Barna, whether you look at annual church profile, we understand that there is a desperate need, a desperate need for churches like ours to be active in reaching out to the community around us, to reach out to those that the Lord has called us to. And when we hear stories, pastors being fired because they, people were getting saved, so tell us something that, there, that, that there's a temptation there. Let us resolve to be like Barnabas. Let us have our arms open like Christ to receive those that Christ received. I'm sure Barnabas would have been familiar with the story of the prodigal son. You know, the father doesn't put his hand out and say, you wait there, son. He runs to him and embraces him. Barnabas has embraced Saul, and we're going to see that later on. He has embraced Saul as a brother in Christ. He has embraced the power and the possibility of the gospel, and because of that, the gospel goes forth in power. 
You know, we look at the statistics in our day and age, uh, uh, and it might be tempting to say, well, you know, maybe it's the times that we're in. Maybe people are different. Well, human nature hasn't changed. Lostness hasn't changed. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, the worldview of many in our day and age uh, was very similar to the worldview uh, that the early church found itself in in the Greco-Roman world. Idolatry, sexual immorality, all those things mark the world, and yet uh, they turned the world upside down because they lived out the fact that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Now, when we look at the world around us, when we consider the fact in a county like ours, uh, some upwards of 80% of Mercer County residents are unchurched. No relationship with Christ. We could think to ourselves, well, maybe Mercer County's changed. Maybe the people have changed. Or maybe there's something wrong with the gospel. Or maybe we could look and see where we find ourselves in the story. Are we like these disciples who are afraid to bring in somebody that the Lord has welcomed? Because it might change things. Or are we like Barnabas? an encourager, reaching out to those that the Lord is working in. I tell you, if I have a choice between the two, I'd much rather be with Barnabas, standing alone for Saul, than with all the disciples who are afraid. No, nobody remembers who those disciples were. N nobody uh, looks fondly on what they accomplished. They're just a footnote of those who were fearful of what the Lord was doing because this was the Lord's doing. Well, let's not be afraid of what the Lord might be doing in our day and age. Let's not be afraid of the possibility of people being saved. Let's welcome it. Let us encourage it. And let us daily search our hearts to make sure our hearts are lined up with His. Now, this is the early church. We often look at to it as a golden period, and yet we're reminded that even in this time of the apostles, the church could get it wrong. And as we'll see later on, they get it wrong again and again. It's a good reminder for us that we can get it wrong, but that we can be brought in the right through God's Spirit and through His Word. Go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, we thank you uh, how you had saved Saul, your servant, and how you raised up Barnabas to be a voice of exhortation. We pray that through your word and through your spirit we would be exhorted to consider those that you're working in the hearts of. We would never be fearful of your work but that we would desire to see you work in the hearts of the lost. And we pray this afternoon uh, that if there are any who are far from Christ uh, that during this time of invitation, that you would open their eyes for their need for Christ. And where we may have been fearful of how you might be working uh, in your church or how you might change our church so that we might reach the lost, pray that you would grant repentance. That we would not be afraid to Welcome those that you have welcomed so richly in Christ. For this we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.